Empire of the Sun. Suns. Empire of the Suns. Wet like on book. Wet like on book. Wet like on book. Arizona Sports presents the Empire of the Suns podcast. Empire of the Suns. Welcome to the Empire of the Suns podcast. My name is Kellen Olson, joined as always by Kevin Zimmerman. Hello, Kevin. What's up? How's it going? It's a Sunday. We're going back at it. We've got two weeks left, man. Uh, Today is going to solidify that. And then we have 14 calendar days left in the regular season. And, you know, a lot of the times I would say... 99 seasons out of 100, Kevin, for the most part. You're looking at this two weeks remaining, and it only really matters for two, three, four, five teams in the league, and it's arguably half of them right now, and a lot of that has to do with what's happening in the Western Conference right now. Uh, Everything that we've been talking about for the past three months has more or less held up. I expected some real separation to start to occur, And the only team that came out of this whole mess to join Denver and Memphis was Sacramento. That happened a month and a half ago, two months ago, quite honestly. Uh, It looked like the Suns were on their way to doing that. And then they found themselves sort of closer to this mess of teams that were around the playoff play-in and then completely out of it line. And now... The Suns are coming off of a win. Uh, they beat the Sixers, and we'll talk about that more a bit later. But we want to start with the West up top and the Western Conference standings update desk because that, that to me, is the main story going right now. The Suns lost six of their last seven games, and essentially what happened here is that they they had a cushion to work with, more or less, is the way that I would put it, Kevin. And, and it's not that that cushion is gone but they've lost any they've used like their one up on a video game does that make sense like you know when you have your life on mario or whatever like they yeah. had a couple they had a couple they had like five or six and they were looking pretty good and now they have like one or two left and i'm not saying they can they can only lose one or two games i'm not using it in that kind of way but kevin if they lose 3 of 4 here in any of these stretches they have eight games left and if they lose drop two in a row drop three in a row it could start to get dicey here real quick. Pretty much if I, I feel like they have one of those stretches, they're going to be worried about the play in line. And then obviously two of those, I think would be enough to be on the worried about making the playoffs at all in any scenario line. Um, but yeah, I mean, if Kevin Durant does come back Wednesday, then you got to look at that positively. Um, I mean, Look at the schedule. They they match up pretty well. There's a lot of teams that like kind of have question marks around them right now. Actually, like even though you know you have Denver twice, um, I still think it kind of is favorable. Where even if you go 500 rest of the way, um, you, you're going to be safe. But yeah, it's it's a mess right now, and I think it's. I mean, it from a just overall perspective, I think it's going to make for a great last few weeks. Definitely. If if the Suns play the way that we expect them to play or just a little bit worse, they're going to be completely fine here. And I'm I'm just talking about holding the four seed even. Like, I think they'll be fine there. But it's just yeah. the, the real estate and the cushion that they had, and it didn't look like they were going to have to sweat it out. The Duran injury obviously came, and then DeAndre got hurt. He missed four games, and the Suns lost 
three of those games. Uh, we'll, we'll get to the team in a little bit coming up later, uh, but to, again, focus on the West right now, basically Denver is is not more or less locked into the one seed, but it would take some shenanigans there for them to fall out of the one. There's a two-loss difference between Memphis and Sacramento at the two, three. That could wind up being uh, important to know because the Suns could still slip to six. We'll see. But right now, as one game is going on, that is the Warriors and the Timberwolves there at halftime right now as we're podcasting. The Suns are in fourth with 35 losses, and then below them with 36 are the Clippers and the Warriors. There is the winners of four straight, Kevin. The New Orleans Pelicans just won you. So you're telling me there's a chance just when you pulled them out, they were they're ready to be back into it. They're at 37 losses with the Timberwolves, 38 losses for the Lakers who dropped a tough one to the Bulls today, and then the Oklahoma City Thunder are at 10. My goodness, Kevin, the Dallas oh. Mavericks have <laughs> lost four in a row. They are 36 and 39. Right below them, the Utah Jazz losers of three straight. It felt like they were just kept hanging around. It looks like they might finally be running out of room, but again, that's just a one loss difference between them and a, and a playing spot and a three-loss difference between them and a playoff spot. Three losses feels like a pretty big gap with seven to eight games left to go for pretty much all of these teams. But with that being said, there are some teams here worth talking about just for a few minutes. Warriors have won three in a row, Pelicans four in a row for them, and then the other way in the other direction uh, for Dallas. Which which of those teams are, uh, if you want to talk about the Lakers, did anyone here stand out to you over the last week or two that you're going to be watching for these last two weeks? Well, LeBron back obviously changes a lot, and we haven't really, I guess, seen how that team has really should fit around him. And I kind of think them and the Suns are the most intriguing, just like like at as of this moment, I guess, you got – a lot of great contributions out of the guys you got at the trade deadline. You, you're starting to feel good about I, the Lakers obviously have been in a lot better space than the Suns lately, but I think, yeah, they're kind of in the same spot where it's, I trust them now to make, you know, at least a play in. And it's just like, how much can you get done in eight or however many games they have left? So to me, that's really just fitting around LeBron. You, you saw good things out of all their pieces, but yeah, I, I kind of think they and the Suns are in kind of a unique spot compared to even, I don't know, the Pelicans, even the Timberwolves, et cetera. Nearly every team has something going on right now, too, from either a injury perspective or a returning from injury perspective. The Suns, of course, are going to get Durant back. It sounds like on Wednesday, according to Sham Sharania, we'll see uh, if if everything goes according to plan, Kevin, if there are no yeah. setbacks, progression, Day by day, day to day, all that stuff. Uh, Paul George had a horrific looking injury. And and my goodness, has that poor guy been through enough already when it comes to injuries. But fortunately for him, it is one that is only going to keep him out for what appears to be the rest of the regular season. Uh, We'll see what the Clippers can do without him. Of course, they have that guy named Kawhi Leonard, who's not that bad either. We continue to wait to see if Andrew Wiggins is going to be back or not with the Warriors. We just don't know. They did get Gary Payton the second back very recently. He made his home debut uh, for this season with them, of course. Today, the Pelicans won four in a row, and I mentioned that they did beat. The competition wasn't great. Houston, San Antonio, Charlotte, and L.A. Then again, uh, Kevin, Charlotte beat Dallas back-to-back <laughs> game, so who knows about that. I looked a little bit further into this. They are shooting 45% from three, Kevin, in those four games. <laughs> They've got oh. 14 threes a game in those four games, so some lights-out shooting. Their defensive numbers have been really good as well. 
But here are their next six at Portland, at Golden State, at Denver, home against the Clippers, home against the Kings, home against the Grizzlies. Uh, So they end here with quite the gauntlet and then home against the Knicks and then at Minnesota. I would imagine that is strength of schedule wise, the toughest left in the league, if not one of the toughest for them. So I'm not sure how much to buy with them winning four in a row. Uh, Minnesota, I want to hit on here in a minute. Uh, The Lakers just got LeBron back. They were, it turns out when you have Anthony Davis playing at a superstar level, Kevin, and you have a top five defense behind him, you can win basketball games. And that's what they were doing while LeBron was out. LeBron comes back today. They lose a tough one. Nothing really to note on OKC. And then the most concerning team around here, obviously, is Dallas. The quotes coming from Luka after the first loss to Charlotte were concerning. He was alluding to personal problems for him happening away from the court right now. Just um, a lot of quotes, basically, about how he's just not not feeling like himself on the basketball court right now and, and a couple of other things. And then that has more or less been alluded to today as well. And then on top of that, Kyrie's playing through a, a toe injury right now, I believe. Uh, so they're they're in a really, really tough spot right now. And all of these teams to highlight, Kevin, I went through and picked out in the last two weeks all of the times teams play each other in these nine teams, right? Because the Suns have five of those games. They play at Utah on, on Monday. They play home against Minnesota on Wednesday. And then a week from today at OKC, uh, and then in the last three days of the season, their two last games, they play the second game of a back-to-back at L.A. against the Lakers, and then they are at home on the final day of the regular season on Sunday against the Clippers. All five of those could have ramifications, of course, but then there is, I believe, 11 other games in the in the Western Conference where those two of those teams are playing against e- each other. Um, I... Can I make an a, a, a addendum, Kevin, on on Minnesota, really quick? Sure, go for it. Can I give one? I we kind of laughed them off and did the trolley, like, oh, Carl Anthony Towns is back. That's bad for them thing on on our podcast. And what I, when I was watching the first half today, and I watched them the other night too. This is their first game with Carl Anthony Towns and Anthony Edwards on the court together since the end of November. This is the first time that Conley has played practice anything with Towns in general. So there's a lot of just easy to write off stuff with their team in terms of how quickly they assimilate. And to go back to what I've been watching and trying to watch them play together, the sum, it's a weird instance of the sum of parts is actually pretty great. Like I like watching them together and all the different options they have. But there's clearly going to be some feeling out processes happening of, okay, when there's eight minutes left, are we going to run the Conley and Gobert two-man game? Are we going to let Ant isolate? Are we going to let Cat isolate? Because there's just going to be all, all, all these possessions where Cat is merely a floor spacer or, or Ant is merely a floor spacer. And I wanted to mention for Minnesota and highlight them as well, because speaking of uh, bad-looking injuries, Anthony Edwards has a, had a scary-looking ankle sprain, but then he just missed three games and he's already back. Um, yeah. he, he did not look like himself in the first half from what I was watching, at least in terms of the explosiveness. He wasn't really showing much of that at all. That was just off of two quarters. Maybe he had a poster dunk while we're recording. I'm not really sure, but I, I didn't see that for them. And then the other thing I wanted to mention with them is we haven't really talked about them at all during these segments in the last two months. They've had some guys playing really good basketball. McDaniels might make an all-defense team, and he's doing a little bit of scoring for them. But Kyle Anderson and Nas Reed have been two solid contributors as well. The biggest 
thing for them is that they're moving towns into the starting lineup and that is pushing out Kyle Anderson and Anderson has been a huge part of their offense and just making sure things flow together so that they're dealing with their own challenges there in terms of fit. But I do think that they've actually got an eight to nine man group. You throw in Torian Prince, McLaughlin, whoever else they've got there, you know, the Jalen Noel in me is still there hoping that there's something there. It seems like that's a lost cause, at least this year. They do have a lot there to where I think that they could have something come together at the right time, but it just doesn't feel like they have enough time, right? I, I, I just didn't want to, again, like leave our only Minnesota Timberwolves comments over the last two months to be that trolley, like 15 seconds. Oh, Cat's back. Now they're going to lose. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I, I still don't know whether I trust them at all, um, but like the, the Conley pickup, I mean, just his experience with the Gobert, that's not really going to be a learning curve for him. It's just about Cat then. Um, and even, like, I think I read some good things about Nikhil Alexander-Walker um, just, like, kind of coming into his own, figuring out, like, oh, I'm a role player. This is how I have to play. Like, his numbers aren't super great, but he's getting time. And and he's a guy who, on the ball, can, like, probably help them in different ways than Jalen Noel. So, I, I like their team. Yeah. I, I think they'll, they'll be safe to make at least a play in. Um, and yeah, that, that's a scary team to play because it, especially if they just figure out defensively what they're doing. Um, I, I think they can kind of make teams work. Um, and that's obviously they just have a really good front line is in terms of athletes and defenders. So I think, yeah, it's, it's fair to point that out. They're coming up on Wednesday, and that's going to be the Kevin Durant game. Uh, so a lot of the attention is going to be on Durant. And when I said it's going to be the Kevin Durant game, please do not take that as reporting from myself. It just seems like we are all but treating it like his debut is going to come on Wednesday. We'll wait and see, of course. But if Kevin Durant plays Kevin, then we are going to see him on the court, and a lot of focus is going to be on him. But that is the potential tiebreaker for Phoenix against Minnesota as well. Again, only two losses separating them as of – the recording on the podcast right now, Minnesota leads by three with six minutes to go in the third for that one. So if Phoenix wins that one, they're up three one. If they don't, it'll go to conference record. And right now, Minnesota is 25 and 20 and the Suns are 24 and 20. So that one really could come down to the wire in terms of all these tiebreakers that the Suns are favorably uh, ahead of for the majority of them. Where do you want to start with how they've been playing lately? Because kind of what I was saying and why I didn't want to talk about the team at the top is because from reviewing these games and going over them, I've had the same sentiment now for two weeks straight is just that they kept giving up these bad runs in the second half and they just weren't playing well. And we talked about that a lot last week and it continued in the OKC game. That was maybe the worst version of it so far until we got to the Sacramento game two nights ago. And then the Lakers game had something similar uh, as well. Do you want to go over that? Do you want to start with the bench Booker? Where do you want to go? Cause there are a different, co- different couple of places to go. Yeah. I honestly, I think my two bullet points um, bench would be one we can touch on, but honestly, I want to know what you think about like defensive potential. Cause I think I've seen the last two games, maybe three games. And I know Sacramento like lit them up for a lot of points, but I saw, at least individual things that made me think, okay, if this team, and again, you have to do it for a full game because that was the problem in the Sacramento game, but if this team can just be an average defensive team, then they're in good shape. And I I don't know what your thoughts are, but just 
and, and it's kind of related to the bench too. Like I think they can kind of hold up if TJ Warren like is, is playing like he has been, if Terrence Ross isn't fouling every two minutes and that's kind of shown signs of that turning, I guess. So what has essentially happened is the Durant injury opened one more open tryout process. And this was an interesting time for them to lose six of seven, but it was interesting in how hypercritical portions of the fan base became about Monty and specifically his rotations. Uh, I think that I echo a lot of, Zach Lowe's sentiment about how some NBA fans just enjoy the trade deadline and trades and talking about signings and the draft and like all that kind of stuff more than actual basketball. And I feel like some fans enjoy looking at hyper focusing on rotations and playing this player over that player, or they truly do believe that this guy playing instead of that guy is ultimately why a team loses all the time. Uh, But because we, I, I say all of this because this has been a really interesting time with those kinds of decisions. It seemed like Ish Wainwright had more or less pulled away in the last three weeks or so prior to the last week. So I would say like mid-February is when we really started to see him um, coming into his own, playing a really strong brand of basketball for what he does. He wasn't scoring 16 points a night by any means, but defensively he was giving this team what it needed. And then after the drain injury, a lot of what was needed out of the supporting cast was defensively. That was going to block some potential playing time for the likes of TJ Warren or Terrence Ross if they were going to enter the rotation, be a main part of the rotation, whatever. Terrence Ross comes in, Kevin, and he's immediately playing, right? He's just like immediately sort of in there and we're just like, Oh, okay. He's just going to be the first or second guy off of the bench every night. And we're going to see it from there. And then Monty started to pull back on him a little bit and his role has been a little bit more uh, inconsistent. And I say all of this with your question about the defense, because I do think it ultimately comes back to that more than anything else. And Warren to me has been more solid defensively the majority of the time then Ross is more hit or miss where TJ is more below average to average. Does that make sense? There's less volatility with TJ's defense than there is Ross's. Then again, Ross is the guy that gets picked on pretty much every time he's out there. So maybe that's why then again, to use that phrase again, Ross has been better in, in the last two weeks. So I, I'm really curious how their defensive lineups can coexist when Durant comes back because Ross and Warren are basically going to be out there together with the second unit as of right now. And the question is, can your defense be salvageable when they're out there together? Uh, And I don't know if it can be because that's what you're asking more about, right? Not, Not the defense as a whole in terms of the starting lineup, but just the patches of the game when it's not the five guys out there. Cause I think we've learned already that when the starting five is out there that we saw, like that should be an average defense. Yeah, no, I think it's important. Like when, when I say I saw positive signs, it more is like in an individual level, right? Like TJ's less often not, or less often in 
not in the right spot than he was his first couple games here, right? Um, Terrence Ross isn't fouling all the time. And I think it does. People are like, well, they lost all these games, Sacramento game, whatever. But if you look at it, okay, if he's flipping the star, if Monty's flipping the stars in and out and staggering them, I'm not sure if those two guys will be on the court at the same time. I'm not sure if you won't split them up a little more. Um, I'm not sure if you're going to have two bad defenders on the court at the same time, and that kind of changes everything. But if you're able to get Terrence Ross and he's not going to get absolutely obliterated being picked on for 10 minutes here, 10 minutes there, then you're in a lot better spot. So again, it's, I'm maybe overly optimistic, but I'm thinking of, okay, like Kevin Durant's not there. DeAndre Ayton's not there. And suddenly all these rosters, like the depth, the, what people are bad at just shows up more in these last few games. And I, I like, I, I'll say myself, I was tweeting, like, I don't understand what Monty's doing with campaign um, in the rotation, not playing him enough when I thought he was playing pretty well, but I keep going back to Monty saying what Greg Popovich said, don't like skip steps in the process or whatever. When you made that trade, he probably knows. I, I know what I get out of campaign already. I know what I get out of Ish Wainwright already. So maybe right now he's just not playing them because he, he has all the information he needs, right? So to me, I think this is like a feeling out period, like you said, a tryout because Katie was out. And like if these things keep up where the rotations, even if they keep up to the end of the regular season where the rotation's not rock solid, I'm just going to assume that Monty was – learning things and then when we get to the playoffs i'm sure it's going to be cut down he's going to have like very lineup specific um groups for depending on who they play i think to your point we essentially know what pain and shame it provide at this point even if we see the new some new highs or some new lows I don't think that's going to present much new information. You know, you know what I mean? Like even if it's newer results, you're seeing them used in slightly different ways. I I don't think you're going to get anything that's just valuable enough for it to be under consideration. So then I, and I think that's kind of another question in and of itself, which is how are we viewing these last two weeks and how they are using them? Are they using it to find a rhythm for these guys? or Are they using it to find out what they are? I think it's been much more of the latter. And Shamit's in a different spot, right? Because he just has been out so long that he is trying to get his wind, his rhythm. So I think that may be why he's playing more than campaign. And whether that translates to the postseason, I'm not sure yet. But I think he is really trying to get guys in a rhythm and sticking with Terrence Ross through all the lows, getting TJ Warren in now. And yeah, I think it's each guy's kind of in his own um, context of why he's playing and why other guys are not. Here is here is Warren's son's career. Uh minutes. 13, 3, 7, 4, 3, 6, and then 20, 29, and 27. It's been three games. And to be clear, he scored two points in those first six games as a son. Two. And then he scored six against the Lakers before 15 against Sacramento and 16 against Philly. Uh the points aren't really a uh indicator like an indictment of him as a player that he wasn't ready or whatever but we just saw him moving around the court every now and then in those three or four minutes i was just like oh man like or his legs just not there under him anymore he is 29 he's been through a lot of serious injuries 
already, but there were moments in that Philly game, particularly the bucket he had on the baseline in the second half where I was like, oh yeah, he's still, he can still be Tony buckets to some extent. And I think we've seen a bit of that uh, 15 and 16 from the last two games, like I said, and then Terrence Ross, the minutes have been a lot more consistent. This is including the Dallas game that um, featured Durant uh, 13 and then 23, 23, 15, 11, 16, 16, 12, and then 27 and 23 in the last two games. He had 30 in Sacramento and then 15 against Philly. Uh, some of this is this is, I think, the more fascinating part of the conversation, Kevin, and just what I'm interested in figuring out is are Ross and Warren actually more valuable than Payne and Shamit now because Duran is on the team? Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah. Just because you, you have that ball handler, that guy who's going to be kind of dominating it, I guess. And there are parts that fit better around that, right? Like if book and Duran are doing everything, if you have those guys sitting in the corners, uh, that's problematic for a defense, I think. And that that's where I kind of get like a Kogi's role is going to be interesting because he obviously you can stow him with the starters and you don't have to worry about his offense very much. Um, but yeah, it, that's, that's the interesting part of this is like, these are complementary pieces in some ways. And you, you kind of just worry about the, again, getting to average defense and offensively, I think you're going to be in a really good spot. Hey, I still think that Payne and Shaman are more valuable and are more important to them, but I do think that there are situations and nights where Ross and Warren will play more minutes. And I think that could be as simple as there's that one spot on the perimeter there's a big, and then there's four other guys. And those three of those other guys are Durant, Booker, and Paul. And who fits best is that other guy. I do think that Ross and Warren slide into that spot a little bit easier than Payne and Shamit do. There's been some chatter, some people saying maybe Shamit should be the fifth starter right now while Durant is out. Uh, we haven't seen that yet, but we've seen him sort of implemented in that type of space a few times. Um, and, and I'm not sure what the exact options are outside of that and, and what you do within within that and having shame it there and like what the differences are that you really get with him. But it's more or less a meaningless discussion now because Durant should be back uh, on Wednesday. But in terms of what we learned from these two guys, Ross and Warren in the last two games, I mean, we, we didn't learn a ton because we, we knew that the amount of offense that they could provide is there, but just getting to see it on the court I think was particularly valuable for them. And I I do think it comes down to who they play. Uh, I think that the matchup will sort of dictate who Monty is going to go with. If they get in the first round, it might be a series where we see more of Warren than Wainwright. I think that's more of the, to kind of iron out and close out the segment on the bench, Kevin, it's still pretty clearly should be Payne, Shamit, the backup big, probably should be Landale with how he's played the last two months. But then again, there are matchups where Biz fits more. We'll pass that for now. And then Ross as the ninth guy. And then that 9.5, some nights it's Warren, some nights it's Wainwright, some nights it's Lee. Do you feel like it's definitive? Do you feel like maybe Shamit or Ross isn't locked in? Maybe Payne isn't locked in? And do you feel any other 
extravagant uh, way? I feel an extravagant way about Payne still, I think. And honestly, it is more like he's important because he's one of the few guys who gets downhill, which like he's not shooting to as well, but it's still kind of a gravity suck um, kicking out, especially with, you know, Terrence Ross, if he's on that unit and, and shooters or Shamit. Um, but I honestly think it's become a bigger deal on defense with Payne because it, it's partially about Chris Paul if you get a matchup like against a smaller team, like I, I think campaign, I, I don't know what you think about him as a defender, but I think he's been a lot better this year than last year. And I think that just him being able to knock, I always think there's a lot of value in a, a lead guard who can just get an offense two seconds behind the eight ball, burn a couple seconds, getting up the court, that kind of stuff get them a little off rhythm. I think there's a lot of value in that. So I think he's bigger on that end, especially after the KD trade. Anything from this three weeks that you want to, it's been three weeks, right? Since uh, the injury, more or less, I think that's kind of what we're looking at. Anything specific you're watching for with Durant back out there, whether it's the guys around him or him specifically. Man, uh, I I think Monty just needs to, he's done a good job the last few games. Cool it with the minutes on book, like I know they want to figure out how things work with KD, but I, I, I think you, you've gone this far. You're not going to get, if you play five more minutes per game, I don't know if that's going to add up where it's worth it. Just get to the playoffs and figure it out then. Like that, that's kind of my thought on how he's kind of dealt with book. And yeah, like I said, last few games, he's done a good job, really scaled it back. And obviously they've, the bench has given them reason to do that, I guess. My one thing is they've had a lot of time since then. So I'm sure it's even more indoctrinated into the thought process than it would have been outside of it, but Deandre and how he fits into it because his numbers over those three games were so poor from an involvement perspective, not even his own production, but just how little, it seemed like he was able to to get involved in the game. I think that he's the guy that I'm watching for how they incorporate when Duran is out there more than anything else. And I, I guess it is worth mentioning to see how Durant moves, but every time he returns from an injury, he looks completely like himself. So I just don't even, it's just an expectation at this point that he's going to sort of look like himself. And this won't be a situation where he rushed himself back or anything like that, because this is the three week timeline. It was reported that there was a three week timeline that three weeks is it's a day ahead. That's it. Really. It's just a day ahead would be Wednesday. So if it's one more game, then that would be the three week timeline on the head, but two fun ones at at home this week. Like we said, Wednesday, Minnesota, Friday, Denver, and then at OKC, uh, they've got some demons to overcome there after uh, the way that that game ended in OKC a couple weeks before that uh, should be a fun closing stretch. Anything going on with you, buddy, that you want to hit on here? Any uh, mock drafts trending your way for trading <laughs> down? Uh, I don't know what's going on. I've never been. I, I don't know if people are excited about the Cardinals drafting third. I'll just say that. And that's not good. Um, but yeah, I think we're just, me personally, I don't know about you, but I'm just like, okay, I'm just trying to do some sleeping before the playoffs hit, basically. That's I'm trying to be like a planner here. Yeah, I, I was I was in that mentality like two months ago, quite honestly. I got I've gotten pretty far ahead of it in terms of trying not to not even burn myself out, but just be ahead of it. But what I'm looking forward to is 
I write these crazy long previews every year and somehow I've been able to do them the last two years with like no heads up and having three days until the series starts. If they land at three, four, five or six, I should actually have like a week to work on them. (laughs) So it just will be like this mad dash of like no sleep from the jump before the series even uh, gets started. And so hopefully uh, that remains the case. And I think I've mentioned this as someone at the game last night. It's like enough Enough has happened, you know. This has been an incredibly eventful year. I dropped that stat three weeks ago, or four weeks ago, about the segments of the season. Do you remember that? Where they were really great, and then horrible, and then they were really great, and now they've been horrible for the first half of this last quarter of the year. That If you broke the season into four quarters, just like, can just can it just be normal, you know? Can no one else I mean, get hurt? Can they just win five of these last eight, six of these last eight, and then can the playoffs start, please? I just went normal for three weeks, two weeks. You know what's crazy is, remember, there was a 48-win team that did not make the playoffs for the Suns. Um, They have 39 wins right now, and I know it's competitive, but it just feels impressive, even though they're not that far ahead of 500. Impressive that they're in the four seed right now, considering just the inconsistent lineups, the injuries, how hard they've tried to just like slow roll this. So I don't know. I I feel like I should be impressed. Um, And I guess I think I should be because every other team, including Golden State, LA, who are super experienced, all that are are in the same spot, basically. So I think I still pick them to win mid fifties win total wise. I think I still had them around there. I still picked them to be a regular season juggernaut. So I'm with you for them to finish 10 to 12 wins less than what I expected. And for me to be pretty impressed by it overall speaks to how bizarre uh, of a regular season this has been uh, before we go one team to watch the next week, the listener, if they're still here and they have league pass up on Tuesday when the suns don't play and they're looking for a team to click on. FAU. No, oh. no. <laughs> they, they wouldn't even play on Tuesday. You're doing this wrong. Like the one team, like Minnesota, I kind of spoiled mine. Minnesota is more or less mine. OKC has been another one I've been watching more. You want to peek in New Orleans? What's going on over there? Anyone? Honestly, OKC is super interesting to me just because I thought they were going to be the ones that petered out with Utah. And like, they're a fun team, man. Like, Jalen Williams and other Jalen Williams, I guess, but like Shea has running mates and no one thought they'd be here because Chet was supposed to be kind of that guy who pushed them maybe into the, the like, I'd be surprised if they were the 10 seed with Chet and they're here without him. Like I'm that team's fun, man. And I know a lot of it has to do with Shea, but he has, he has some dudes around him. Mine is Minnesota. I'm just I, the whole Durant thing when it happened and me being the guy to stand on the, soapbox and say 10 games is not enough or whatever I was trying to say, which is not what I was, I was just saying it was, it was harmful. I would, you'd rather have three times as many games than that, but I'm curious to see how Minnesota does with their 10 games, you know? So they're my team. All right, everyone. Uh, We'll be back middle of next week. So a few things will change. We will be talking to you. I assume after Kevin Durant plays, but uh, hopefully that remains the case. uh, And we'll report back then. See ya.